Welcome in Compile Security Sessions. I have with me, as always, thought leaders in the security world, and today we are going to discuss the topic of safeguarding trust for financial institutions. Uh, we have with us Stas and Will, as always, but uh, today our special guest is going to be Mark. Mark, uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and maybe uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I'm Mark Ashworth. I am the uh, CISO for First Bank. Uh, we're located out of the St. Louis area, but we're in uh, five states uh, with about half of our business out in the California region. And uh, otherwise, Missouri, Illinois, and Kansas, and uh, Nebraska. So, uh, you know, happy to be here. I, I got four teams. Just give you a little more background on my oversight. I have four teams that's associated with me. I have physical security, cyber. Uh, our financial crimes, as well as our network services team. So I, I, I get a, a quite a, a broad little uh, perspective on things that's going on. That's for sure. So that's cool. So does the so does the money laundering stuff fall under you too? Uh, no, uh, not okay. yet, at least. Uh, and I'm okay with that. So <laughs> yeah. uh, I always find know, it super interesting, but yeah, it's like really, uh, it's a different world. <laughs> yeah. All, all the fraud and, you know, everything around the fraud side, uh, AML is still, uh, over with our risk team and uh, is managed by them. Uh, I work very closely with them. We work very, you know, uh, my teams do. And so, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot, so uh, you know, lots of great guys over there. But I'm I'm glad they do what they do, and then we do what ours. <laughs> <we do. laughs> I was gonna say, Mark, with that kind of responsibility, are you sure you're able to cram that into a four uh, forty hour week, or uh, or just <laughs> little little wide? Yeah, up? yeah. Well, you know, obviously, it's always constantly going and everything like that. But uh, you know, we, uh, we try to do our best, keep our hours down as much as possible. Cause otherwise it just, you know, gets burnt out. It, it's, I think it's probably harder on my networking team more so than anything because of, you know, updates at night or troubleshooting issues and that sort of things. I, I worry more about them a lot of times than I do uh, my other teams on, uh, on that. But, uh, you know, with the uptick in fraud and everything, uh, you know, my financial crime side is definitely seeing a lot more activity and, and, you know, and, uh, you know, just one incident of that takes a long period of time. It does, it's not something, you know, with investigations and everything else that has to be done. So, uh, so there's a lot of manual effort involved, even though we try to automate as much as we can. And obviously the detection side and everything is, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, uh, machine learning and AI that's associated with that, but uh, to help find it, but it, it, it's, you know, it's daunting. I mean, no matter how you look at it, there's, sure. you know, we, we adjust so much stuff and there's so many alerts and then all the transactions and everything going on, you know, daily. I mean, there, there's just a lot going on and trying to find, uh, you know, those uh, needles in a haystack, so to speak. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Mark, I think you touched on quite a bit there and we're going to dive into it. <laughs> Um, to set the stage, really, th this is kind of, um, you know, the overview. So in an era where data breaches and cyber threats dominate headlines, the need for robust InfoSec and compliance programs is more critical than ever. So for financial institutions, this plays a pivotal role in safeguarding our hard-earned money. They become prime targets for cyber criminals seeking to exploit vulnerabilities and gain unauthorized access to sensitive information. Today, we explore why a strong InfoSec and compliance program is not only essential for the survival of banks, but also to maintain the trust and confidence in their customers. So, Mark, you kind of alluded to this, and I just maybe I'm going to throw it right back to you. 
How do banks strike the delicate balance between providing convenient and accessible digital banking while ensuring a robust uh, infosec measures are in place to protect their customers? Yeah, I mean, obviously it's tricky because, you know, security is not inherently easy in a lot of ways, but, uh, you know, so there, there's really a multi, you know, prone approach that, you know, banks have to do. They, you know, between educating and uh, their clientele and making sure people's aware of, you know, the threats that's out there and the scams and all that. But, uh, but then also, you know, as they access their information to provide the right controls in place. And, you know, I think most people are um, accustomed now of, you know, uh, you know, getting MFA challenges and those sort of things. And so that, you know, that obviously is, is a huge part and, and a big step to, help reduce, you know, a lot of that. Uh, obviously there's improvements that could be done and maybe someday we might be passwordless and, and uh, you know, done in the right way there. But, uh, you know, that's not the world we're living in right now. So we've got to kind of deal what we need to. But then, you know, in the environments and the systems themselves of having the right checks in place and, and doing the proper validation, you know, whether it's on online account opening and validating who they are and, you know, really that, Oh, uh, know your customer or KYC component of it. It's definitely challenging to continue to make it easy for uh, the bank customers to get the data, but then also provide them secure. So, here on the, the KYC part, I work uh, with a, a lot of different organizations in the past, and that you know, even you know, on the technology side, that's a big. There's a big push on that, right? Because um, financial institutions, you guys have more data that, that you can make use of than you're actually making use of most of the time, in my experience, right? There's all kinds of like better way, not not from the security perspective, but from the, you know, from the, the customer service standpoint and what kind of, you know, how do we, how they leverage that data. As I understand it, most of that is kind of like you, you're kind of forced to share that data externally because other people can kind of process it or give you the right information um, kind of help you, you know, read into that or the anal what are those analytics to figure out, hey, you know, this type of customer is consuming these type of services, so we should sell them this type of stuff. So just uh, the, where I'm getting to is like with all of that need to share sort of externally to, to, you know, in order for the business to run, there's a lot of sharing that has to come. How are you guys like sort of what's what's the best way to manage that? Um, and knowing you're probably not 100% in the cloud either, right? For sure. That was literally, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Most most FSI isn't, right? Yeah, I don't think everyone's 100% in the cloud, especially, uh, you know, if they're, you know, uh, any sort of age to them. I mean, we're we're a fourth generation bank, and, you know, privately owned, uh, you know, family owned. So, uh, uh, you know, we, we have a lot in the cloud, but then, you know, uh, it's still not everything. Um, you know, the, the whole sharing of the data, we don't share the data. So, uh, we don't share your, you know, what you're doing transactionally, you know, that sort of thing. So, uh, and I think a lot of banks don't, I think that's happening in the other, more of the retail spaces and, and how they're, uh, you know, and, uh, through programs, through probably Visa or MasterCard or American Express, you know, those sort of areas is where that intelligence is really coming from. Um, and I'm, you know, probably, you know, maybe some of the bigger banks might do that, but I, I know for us at first bank, we don't share, you know, where you're going, what you've been doing and those sort of things. So, 
and I think and I haven't really looked at it from that perspective, but I mean, there might be some uh, compliance regulations around GLBA that, that might prevent you know banks from doing that. So I that's a good one. I have to ask my compliance yeah. people. I just curious. It's it's yeah. It's one of those things where. Yeah, obviously you're not going to grant access to it, but you know somebody over here has an AI or a you know or a bunch of data that's really helpful at making decisions on what to do with you know with with certain trends that your your organization's seeing. So sometimes it's mm -hmm. metadata, and it was just kind of curious as to how that world worked out. And it, yeah, definitely you're right. I see a lot of that in the retail space for sure. Like right. you know, how do we get the most yeah. out of our how do, you know they'll say how do I provide the best service to my customers, but it's really you know how do I sell more, <laughs> right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. How how can I take that that uh, intelligence that I have and make more money off of it? Exactly. Yeah. I, I have all of this. Info, oh. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I I just had a question around the KYC process because like I know a lot of a lot of organizations used to be um, like my background's financial services and information security and like I just remember that the KYC process was always very very manual for larger organizations and I'm just wondering if there's been you know a push into robotics or uh, machine learning on that side as well. Yeah, uh, I think in the short answer, yes. You know, there's there's areas where uh, you know the systems might not allow for API or something like that yeah. to yeah. Uh, you know easily integrate to handle that, and so RPA is being used to streamline processes. I think a lot of that's really on the back end side, though on you know the operational uh components of that versus uh the kyc component of it um, but it definitely you know could very well be that you know um but really you know when you kind of get into the kyc you're either integrating with other platforms in order to validate you know is this person who they say they are and those sort of things um or you're running uh uh, you know, like historical to, to find out, you know, which products they're using within your organization and how how many people are using that and, you know, how can I potentially, you know, change my selling patterns or stuff, you know, within your, uh, the financial institution. So, um, but, you know, RPA, I, I do, you know, you do hear a lot. It's definitely a huge buzzword that's out there. And I think I get about a dozen vendors saying that they can solve all my problems with RPA a day. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, wonder you know, what they, they sell. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, there's definitely a lot of back end that, that is, you know, helpful and, and get some of those redundant tasks that's being done. And then, better align your workforce to be doing other things and operations to, you know, take care of things. So, uh, so yeah, you know, it's definitely, uh, I think a thing that a lot of companies are doing to help streamline some operations. Cool. That's great. You know, Stas, I know I, I'm pretty yeah. familiar with your background in the financial service world and will, I'm curious, you know, with these types of emerging te technology, right? So AI blockchain, you know, kind of coming into the banking world, this, you know, there has to be a, a balance of how a bank can, you know, reap those benefits um, of using tech like that, but also mitigate potential risks. Will, I'm curious on your end, um, if you've kind of heard of this with customers you've dealt with or seen any ways um, banks are kind of handling kind of that migration using some of this tech, uh, like, you know, newer technology. Yeah, it's it's interesting because, as you mentioned, like, um, in my experience, the the, the the financial services are the last of the cloud. 
for a lot of for a lot of organizations uh, really wanting to keep some of their hands or not and i mean obviously consuming some cloud services you know things like SaaS, but you know, kind of getting rid of the data centers or, or some of the there's a lot of legacy things going on there and those organizations as well too um but it's interesting because i did like when i remember when metaverse came out like and that was a big deal like some of the first organizations we had engaging with us were financial institutions trying to figure out hey what how can we leverage this how can we use this and so you know in those cases you would run you know essentially a poc or some thought you know strategy planning where you would kind of see what you could build up and do and kind of uh model it out right and the uh you know, to try and figure out, okay, how are you going to leverage this? And then I think one of the ways that leads into, I think one of the big things and kind of hit on it, just Mark hit on it a little minute ago about authentication, authorization, as we move further and further away from, you know, everything being in person, whether it's the metaverse or whether it's just, you know, general, you know, like I never go to my bank, right? I mean, my bank's not, I don't, there's, I don't even have a branch of the state I live in, right? So um, and that's just the way it is. So, but as we move further and further away, the identity becomes super, super important, right? Um, so you start looking at decentralized identity and verified credentials. Um, you start looking at things better than SMS technology, right? <laughs> for uh, there's a few banks in Singapore who can attest to you know how that worked out for them, right? So uh, I, I think there's a balance in trying to, um, in, in my experience, financial services has always been very good at not running in too fast versus like uh, retail and tech. We're kind of you know quick to adopt because they have to, and then slap the security on later. Um, part of that's probably, and I, Mark can, can tell me if I'm right or wrong, but you know there's this long list of acronyms that are required before they want to do anything that they have to do. And I, in my experience, you know things like systems acquisitions process and, and vendor management is much better in the financial services space than a lot of other industries. Yeah, and I think part of that's because of uh, just you know the Fed oversight and OCC oversight on having us look at our our vendors and, and really working with that and and the contracts and stuff and uh you know i i've been in many other industries and the vendor management process is very loose and you know anyone can sign anything there's no standards and legal reviews and everything i mean and but meanwhile you know the managers pulling out their heads prepared because you know it's like why did they do this deal you know uh, so it is a lot better, but it, it's also an educational process too, you know, of getting that. And, and over my time here at the bank, you know, we've been really pushing the vendor management process and getting security involved in the review. And, and so, you know, I'm, I'm part of that as well as my team in different areas. I'm on the contractual side reviewing those contracts while they're doing the security due diligence uh, with the vendor or, or, you know, third party or fourth party, you know, even for that perspective. So, uh, you know, so it is a uh, something that all companies should be doing, not just banks uh, to really be watching that because there's, there's a lot of, you know, very shady stuff that people will try to put in some of those contracts and, uh, you know, without the right people looking at it, you can really do some harm, you know, especially if they're, if it does become a problem with that vendor so yeah and the tricks well obviously you know making sure everybody adheres to it right so if you have an organization that's not necessarily security aware or you've got an organization where you know every business unit can kind of you know they have their own budget and buys their own things and you got like way too much shadow it out there right it makes it mm -hmm. harder to say hey 
when you're procuring this new solution or this new app or, you know, you know, somebody in marketing is like, oh, this cool new app came out. We should buy this and use it. And they're like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Here, buy it. And it doesn't go through that process to say, oh, well, you know, is it going to be compliant with where, you know, what kind of data are we going to feed? It? You know, what are, what are all those checklists? Um, it, you have to have a way to it, it, it. It's a challenge because a lot of times it's manual, right? Everybody has to understand that process exists and then adopt and adhere to it. And, um, you know, not everybody's going to want to do that sometimes. <laughs> the other part of that, right? Good, bad, or indifferent, I guess. Yeah. But also, and, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Stan. Um, I, I, <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, it, it provides insight for security and IT to know what might be coming in. And, and you know, because people are, you know, they're buying this stuff and they're like, oh, this would be great. Blah, blah, blah. Well, there's compatibility issues with this, this, and this. This is going to cause this sort of... Uh, you know, uh, integration problems and those sort of things. And because they didn't bring IT in and which they don't all the time. And, and right. so, uh, you know, that oversight uh, can really kind of help flag things up of, of potential issues that might prevent that, or you hope to keep that from moving forward if it's going to be major or they, they can accept that risk and know, okay, this is going to increase our uh, uh, deployment time by 30% or something like that. So. Sorry, Stas, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, like, um, on the vendor management side, right, I think things have just changed so much, even even in the past, like, five years. Like, I remember in, like, 2018 getting due diligence questionnaires, and if it was, if it said cloud, you get extra scrutiny. And now it's kind of yeah. like, <laughs> where, like, if it doesn't say cloud, you get extra scrutiny. So, like, it's mm -hmm. just um, uh, just a really interesting space, and just staying on top of it is uh, is. is you just have to be very organized and um, and have a really, really good process in place. But it sounds like, like you guys were saying, the financial services definitely has um has a lot more processes around that whereas a lot of other companies are really struggling with it and then other companies are really relying on like other um other platforms where they kind of skip the traditional vendor management and go to like scoring approaches and things and i my yeah. I, my experience with that is it doesn't work very well but i was just just chiming in <laughs> yeah well, well some of it you got to look at what's driving it right those organizations like i worked with a healthcare organization in the past that had i think like ten thousand vendors Right. And in that case, you can't I mean, you can't manage that the same way yeah. that you can a small amount of vendors. Right. So he had to create a, you know, sort of a streamlined process and kind of tier people into groups and like, here's who you care about more than others. And, you know, based on the type of access, which is the right way to do it. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it's it's uh, yeah, the uh, <laughs> it, it's a lot to deal with. Right. And it, it's it's there's so much, you know, um, interconnectivity required today to kind of just to make business work that it's, you have to, you have to address it, right? Whether it's just answering a 200 question questionnaire, which is kind of typical in like SMB space, right? That kind of stuff, or whether you're actually doing, um, you know, some type of like, uh, I, we're actually seeing today, like we're using our, our tax service validation, tax service management solutions to kind of help with that, some vendor management stuff, right? Because it's not just, like you said, yeah, there, I know there's companies out there that will basically scan your website and give you a score, right? And that may or may not be, you know, what's actually a, uh, giving you a really valid risk rating. So kind of taking, you know, advantage of some of that dark web technology, some of the threat intelligence and putting something together a little more comprehensive is hmm. my recommendation at least, right? Yeah. You know, so, something that I, I think the three of you have touched on, uh, but I wanted to dive a little deeper on is just the idea of fostering a strong security culture within an organization, especially at a bank, um, having, you know, the potential to lose trust, lose customers, lose money, uh, or be fined. Mark, is there anything 
that you feel is, uh, you know, at First Bank that you guys do that uh, fosters a strong security culture? Or is there anything you've seen maybe uh, in your industry that you were kind of like, wow, that 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 maybe is could strengthen, you know, an organization's posture? Yeah, you know, there's a, it's, it's all about education and building those relationships within your environments, really. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing that I strive is to try to educate. It's why I do these things too, you know, so it's, it not only provides, um, uh, you know, education for our people outside of the organization on maybe what we're doing as a bank, but because, uh, you know, hopefully the, the thought there is if I'm talking about it, maybe we're doing this stuff or maybe other banks are doing this stuff. So you can have some trust there in, in your financial institution. But internally, it's really building those relationships with the other business units and and then providing that education to the employees. Of, this is why you need to do this. This is why you need to do that. And then test them, you know, um, uh, you know, let's take fishing for example that you know that's one of the easiest ways that bring to bring awareness and based off of that you grill from there and you know, when you get stopped in the hallway hey i was thinking of you the other day i got this email at home and it looked like this this and this so you know i, I immediately thought it was spam so i just deleted it you know so thank you you know then, then you you know you're doing something right when people are, are stopping you and telling you about those things or i was thinking about you you know it's like uh, and so, uh, you know, those are the things that you really want. And then, uh, or if you're getting a random meeting request about some sort of thing and, and uh, you're finding out this is some product that, you know, someone's looking at, you know, at that point, you, you know that other people are, are being engaging, they're wanting to do the right thing, they're wanting to bring security in and make sure that they're, you know, doing what's needed to be done to protect the bank, because when it's all, when it's all about there, it's really protecting the customers and their data, as well as the employee data, because you got employee data too to worry about. And so, uh, you know, having that uh, education and then those relationships helps bring that in and foster a good uh, security culture. I love the, the personal linking. Um, every time I've ever done any kind of awareness training, um, I've, I've usually been asked to, if I didn't include it anyway, to make sure that, you know, I address stuff that those individuals can use at home, right. To help them understand like how social media or traveling Wi-Fi back in the day, all that, all that stuff. And we actually, I actually had a client, a large client have us prepare a, you know, a presentation specifically for them to kind of help educate them, um, at that base level. Um, so, you know, we got to deliver it to thousands of people, you know, we got to create a, a nice little piece of content to give out to them and then, you know, recording. And then on top of that, um, you know, we got the, it was kind of smart on their part that we peppered in kind of things like, oh, MFA, and here's why it's important because we're adopting that. And like, so kind of, you know, it, it you, it, you know, I talk about, uh, a lot about how, um, I, I wish I could remember who told me this, but some CISO back in the day said chief inside selling officer. That's what it sees us for, right? And that and that's really what it is. Like going back, going to everybody else, all the other business units, and making sure they know, hey, here's why we're doing this. Here's how it's going to help the business. Uh, it's not just like you don't want to block people from getting things done. You want to enable everything. You want, I, I want all right. the technology in there. I just want you to do it the right way and make it secure. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, there's other companies that are that are um, they're providing. So 
I've seen companies where like password management, if you buy their password, their enterprise version, they'll actually give you a personal version as well. And they'll encourage like, a, you know, letting your family members use it as well, which I think is a really good touch. Um, yeah. And on the, on the, the security and awareness training, I mean, I think it's come a long way in the past couple of years, but like the adaptive phishing training where um, you don't even know when it's going to come out yourself, you just set it up and then it goes and then it adjusts to your organization. I think those are some pretty like pretty innovative steps that we've taken um, as an industry. Um, and also um, like being able to provide training that's not just a, just not for the entire organization, but you can you know, divvy it up for developers or you know HR or compliance. I think that really just goes a long way. And I just remember that being really difficult in the past. And I think it's getting, I think it's, I mean, there's still ways to go. There's always going to be way, you know, room to grow into this, but I think um, it's definitely it's definitely going in the right direction. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. At least to me, I've seen that looks to be pretty recent, uh, and I mean, like within the last five years. I mean, somewhere down the line, the research was done, and we figured out once a year is not enough. Like yeah. you need it in a short, like two to three minutes, a few times a week. You know, we we figured out the the fishing thing, all that. You know, so um, you know, I, I'm I'm curious though because. And I, I haven't seen, you know, on the consulting side, you know, we're always, we're always talking about, you know, the chat, you know, what, what's, what are my CISO company and my, and my company's clients struggling with? And we always, you know, we see training as kind of being that lacking area. So I'm wondering, uh, Mark, maybe, you, you know, like not just within your area, but maybe your other CISO colleagues, like, are you able to get the funding you need to kind of put all of that stuff in, or is everybody still focused on technology solutions first? Like, or they, you know, have they, have we really come into a point where they said, yeah, no, no, we get it. Security awareness training is, is necessary and requires, because I mean, I've put together proposals where, like you said, says we're going to build specific training for developers. We're going to build training for, um, you know, HR staff or IT staff. And, you know, I've taken some of these tests and given feedback. Like when I get a phishing email, like this is a joke, of course I'm going to get, you know, I'm not going to, you know, this one's really easy. Make it harder for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you know i think it is challenging for companies i you know when i talk to my other colleagues uh you know in other industries and stuff to to get those uh you know training dollars or out of anything it's it's probably the the resources to vet the training to be able to send that out you know i i know uh, one or two of my friends, they, they're fortunate. They have like a marketing training person, you know, and they're, that's associated with security. It's like, man, I would love to have that. I mean, there'd be just so much more I could do. Uh, but you know, it's, it's being able to get those resources and be able to do that. And, and then, uh, if you don't have that type of budget to do it, then it's a matter of, you know, having someone be able to go through and, and look for the training and then coordinate it and getting getting it out and and work. You know, there's you yeah. know, especially in a highly regulated, there's so much training that has to be done regularly. There's also that fatigue, that training fatigue that goes on. And so uh you get you gotta keep that in mind too, because it's not just you that's trying to train, it's everyone else trying to train or and and some of it is regulatory reasons that you have to do it and, and so that makes it challenging to balance all that and not uh and keeping people efficient uh on it you know when we do the uh you know in october the cyber awareness month you know you mentioned will earlier about uh keeping uh, uh or having the training where you can use it and apply it at home 
we try to provide, you know, 90% of those tips, if not more to be to where you can share it with other people, mm -hmm. you know, and here's a tip and you go, don't do this or go do this and, or make this setting change or whatever it might be on your phone or, you know, whatever it might be to where, you know, it's benefiting, not just you know, our employees, but hopefully their families and friends too. For sure. That's great. Well, I wanted to uh, just wrap this up with a quick um, common question for each of you. So um, something I was just thinking about was I wanted to know if um, any of you guys are seeing any trends currently that you think are going to have a large impact on security professionals over the next uh, five to six months as we, you know, are kind of wrapping up this year. Um, Stas, I'll start with you. Anything you're seeing that you think is going to be more of a trend, uh, more than I, a trend? I was wondering if we're all going to say the same thing. Um, I mean, the like the number one trend I'm seeing right now is just the the AI uh, and phishing. Um, it's just so prevalent right now, and it's become really, really good. Um, so there's no more like grammatical errors, and you know the English is perfect. So it's a lot easier to uh, um, you know to craft a really good looking um, email or text message or whatever it is. Um, and then you know with the other basic technologies that that have existed for a long time, duplicating a website, putting it in the link, um, it's become really, really simple. And um, just going to Mark's point about fatigue, well, he's talking about training fatigue, but now there's MFA fatigue. <laughs> so just another whack-a-mole. Um, so like that, that's what we're seeing. And we're seeing a lot of it. Um, so going back to the need for train more training and, and awareness. Interesting. Will, how about yourself? Well, I'm glad you said AI because I didn't want to as much as I see it. Like it's just, I, I get it. I don't want to talk about it anymore, though. Um, no, I, I do think, um, you know, two things on security operations side is, um, you know, the, the attack surface management, attack surface validation, you know, CASM, there's a whole lot of different, you know, acronyms around, hey, I'm no longer looking just inside my walls. I want to know, I want to see what the bad, bad guys see also, right? What's their viewpoint? Um, what's out there? I feel like that's, um, that's going to start you know, helping that's going to take off and become more and more less of a marketing term and more and more of a real item. And along with that kind of goes sort of the evolution of the sock, right? Um, I don't think SIM goes away, but, you know, because of EDR and XDR, as it develops and becomes something more, you know, we start pushing, I don't know the right way to say it, but like to me, it's, you know, pushing more of the, the intelligence and the decision-making to the edge or to the to the to the you know the source of what's happening whether that's endpoint or whether that's identity or it's the ot so i think that you know sort of modernizing those security operations you know that coincides with um you know that new technology as well as leveraging automation right um because the more mundane tasks you can do the more advanced things you can do the more engaged you can keep your people in the sock which means they're going to be happier and they're going to stay there or or, or want to you know grow up in the organization so i think yeah, the, the SOC and the ASM side of things for me. Cool. And uh, Mark, what, what you could uh, you could finish this, uh, finish this one off. Yeah, so I'll tell you what I hope to see. How about that? So better. I hope to see more organizations <laughs> going back to the fundamentals of security. You know, the segmentation, the uh, uh, application control, you know, or whitelisting, however you want to phrase it, you know, um, uh, continuous monitoring and, and getting those areas more well-defined in their organizations and then products that will better align with that and make it an easier process on the security and IT teams to implement 
to monitor and to maintain versus uh, the way that some of these systems are right now. And I, I think some of the areas, especially, you know, as you see uh, more around uh, SASE and VPN solutions and, and uh, micro segmentation, I think you'll continue to see that, that grow and become uh, more mature. Um, I think as they're doing this, they need to make sure that they are um, uh, keeping those legacy systems that might be high latency or latency uh, uh, sensitive in mind when they do these solutions, uh, uh, you know, versus just assuming everything's web-based or RDP or something like that and, you know, easy to type fix. And that's not the case. There's millions of applications out there that uh, just can't work in that model. And so, uh, you know, that's where I kind of hope things are going and, and where things will be at and, and we're seeing it. And I, and I think you're, we're seeing some push from that and the government's kind of helping push that and, and bring that awareness as well as, you know, other, you know, agencies, you know, to drive that down from the board level on down. And, and uh, you know, I, I think as executives are becoming more aware and understanding and seeing the risk to the organization uh, they're starting to ask more questions around that line, and I think that'll help in improvement too. For sure, I, I think that's spot on. I, like the fundamentals is it is usually something that I always like end on because the fundamentals are always you put them in place and then you forget to maintain them and then the cracks form and then it's it's like ninety percent of the time it's a fundamental it's one of the fundamental missing pieces of of the security program is either not there or it's not maintained and that's how you get in and it's it's never mm -hmm. like. You know the fancy tools that um that you know you buy and you you forget to interconnect and, and take the data and do something with it it's always the fundamentals that um that you fall down on but yeah. I, I would argue a lot of that ties to if you have a good zero trust strategy yep. um you know because mm -hmm. a lot of those terms i mean a lot of people will say zero trust existed years ago or yep. you know but they just didn't have a name for it right and well yeah it is pretty simple it comes down to that segmentation that just-in-time yep. access that credentials yeah i mean that's and it's all fundamental stuff it's just doing it like in a different yeah. framework so. because it was really difficult to do in the past right and everything was um you know fragmented yeah. and non-interconnected yeah. especially in this world where we were kind of coming out of now where it was like oh that we've got rid of all these data centers or we stopped owning all these data centers and now we moved to the sassy world oh we just put it all and we forgot we forgot to take the security with it and so now i think we're at a point where we've we've decided to come together as one yeah yeah but, Sorry, sorry, Mark. Oh, go ahead, Stas. No, I was just like thinking, like it's funny because um, I, I think that too, right? But you still see like identity access management providers are still very much in demand, and um, um, you know, and still you know crushing it quarter on quarter. So there's there's still you know there, there's still holes here. I talk to kids all the time. I say kids. I talk to you know people wanting to get into the industry, and I'm like. <laughs> You get into application security or get into identity and you'll be yeah. good. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Microsoft, I mean, they they've they're on like their third um their third product for just uh identity access management, right? I mean they they have yeah. I mean, if Microsoft is struggling with it, everybody's struggling with it. <laughs> there are yeah. there are companies who make money just making products to make the Microsoft stuff easier to use. Exactly. Uh, the, the big capabilities there, but it, it gets complicated. I'm sorry, Dan. We've we've gone off topic. <laughs> no, no, this was uh, this was great. I I really enjoyed it, and thanks, uh, Stas, Will, Mark. Thanks for your time today. This uh, this was a great discussion, and 
you know, kind of, I think, you know, what we try to do here on security sessions is really just uh, bring thought leadership together and share knowledge that that's all we're trying to do. Uh, whether it's somebody looking to get into this space or has been in this space a long time and just wants maybe a new viewpoint on uh, topics we're covering um, that that's the kind of stuff we're looking to do. So uh, thank you again. And uh, Mark, till next time.